This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Can the stock market winning streak continue? Hi, everyone. Happy first summer Friday edition of the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We moved it a little earlier because we know a lot of you are getting kicked off for the weekend. With me today is Noelle Acheson, editor of Crypto is Macro Now newsletter. Hi, Noelle. It's great to see you. Maggie, it's lovely to see you too. Great to be here. So it was an interesting day today. We saw the S&P 500 uh, rally. You know, stocks looked like across the board they were in rally mode here in the U.S. S&P climbed above 4,300 for the first time since last summer. Um, a lot of people are kind of watching that target area. Um, and yet, as the day went on, and as we're sitting here sort of mid-session, a little past mid-session, it looks like stocks are struggling to hold on to the rally. Does it feel like investors are just taking a breather here, or is this four-week winning streak running out of steam? Well, like you said, Maggie, it is Friday, and it is the start of summer. And so, yeah, there's probably some uh, breather going on. But I'll be honest with you, Maggie, I'm not a perma-bear by any means, but I don't get this rally. I've been saying that for some time now. It just doesn't make sense. Short earnings were perhaps a bit too negative heading into the year. The contraction that we're expecting to be biting around about now is being pushed back. Doesn't mean it's not coming, though. And we're seeing all sorts of earnings downgrades. We're seeing the consumer sentiment weakness and interest rate expectations. A month ago, Maggie, the bond market was saying there was a 100% chance of a rate cut before the end of the year. Now they're saying there's a very slim chance of a rate cut before the end of the year. And this change, which is really material for all sorts of assets, especially in the stock market, that hasn't been reflected yet. We know that the, the stock rally has been very um, driven by tech stocks. And I wouldn't be surprised to see signs of that flagging roundabout now. Yeah. So I, we, your audio, for me at least, was a little weird there. So I just want to repeat that. So we have seen a big change in expectations. We've got the Fed meeting next week. You're saying that they're, they, all those aggressive, the aggressive easing that was priced in has come out now. They're not even sure there's going to be one cut this year. Absolutely. The bond market is finally waking up to what many of us have been saying all along, that inflation is looking better. There have been some massive surprises to the downside in the inflation reports we've seen from key economic areas over the past couple of weeks. That doesn't mean rates are coming down. And to be honest, nor should they. Inflation is going to be really hard to get anywhere near the target. Good sign so far. Too soon to too soon to relax, basically. And the bond market's finally acknowledging that the stock market isn't. Yeah. So why not? What, what do you, where, do you, where do you see the disconnect? What do you think is going on? I mean, we know that the rally had been pretty narrow, a lot of it driven around the enthusiasm around AI, AI-related stocks like NVIDIA, Microsoft. Why is the stock market, is that powerful enough to offset the concerns about rates? 
I don't think so, Maggie. I think the stock market has been driven so far because liquidity has been in the market. It hasn't been as tight as many expect many expected it to be at this stage. And running on fumes, momentum, keep it going. Why not? The money has to go somewhere, right? We're seeing signs of it starting to flag, though, as I mentioned. I was looking at a chart this morning which plots the S&P equal weight index versus the NASDAQ and the standard S&P. Um, it has significantly underperformed so far this month, but over the past five days, it has started to outperform, which suggests that the tech-driven rally so far is starting to flag. AI is a massive thing, of course, that will continue to attract a lot of hype, but that doesn't mean the entire stock market can maintain that kind of hope or hopium, if you want to say, for much longer. Yeah. What, what do you, how are you, how are you thinking about this going into the Fed meeting? Because we've had this uh, you know, as you say, they're they're moving away from those rate cuts later in the year, but there's still division. The Fed still may pause, and it seems like this market wants to take. We just have Dan in the chat commenting, you know, the bulls are going to be raging next week if they pause or skip, which looks likely. We'll see, but won't that just embolden another move up? It seems like that the market's looking for reasons to rally. Then again, we could argue that a pause is already priced in. The bond market's been signaling that for some time. It's very likely. It would, in my opinion, be the sensible thing to do because we are seeing inflation start to come down. It would make sense here, as indeed Powell has said many times, step back, wait for some more data to come in, and then reassess. What happens in the July meeting, that's actually more important because the market is more divided on that. In other words, there is more likely to be a surprise there one way or another. That will very much depend on what we get in the CP. Next week, it'll depend on the employment data that'll be coming out before then. I expect us to see a slowdown in inflation. That could start another bull rally, actually, because that's probably not priced in. But again, that doesn't mean the rates will move just yet. We saw Canada raise rates this year, yeah. although their inflation is starting to slow down. Australia doing the same thing. We're, we're seeing in, in Europe, where I am at the moment, we're seeing some really good inflation deceleration. But the ECB is also saying, more rates, more rate hikes coming because I think everyone with experience in this knows you can't really stop such a massive machine so quickly and nor would it make sense to relax. Yeah, especially if they then just have to pick up again. Um, you know, you'd, you'd rather sort of, I'm sure that was not an easy decision for the Bank of Canada. So if we are looking, if stocks seem like they're kind of stretched at this point and they're not really, maybe they've priced in the pause, but they're not really reckoning with this higher for longer. Do you see a significant sell-off here or are we likely just not to push higher? My view is that we do have a significant sell-off coming, but then again, I have been saying that for some time and just wondering why is this still going up? The consumer is still strong in the United States. However, there are signs, that, especially on the margins, that's weakening and employment, unemployment, I should say. As we know, whenever a contraction bites, it moves really fast. That is not yet priced in. So once this once the scare numbers start to come in, which I do expect to happen soon, then yeah, it can move very fast because the valuations are inflated, as we have seen, historically inflated and relatively inflated. So what what would the scare number be? What would that be? What 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 would cause this people to suddenly say, you know what, I'm nervous here? Unemployment jumping to 4% at the next reading. It could happen. We saw a, three, a, a, a 30 basis point hike in the last one. We could see that again. That would send a very strong signal that the contraction is starting to show up. And again, look at the charts. It moves really fast. 
and it's painful. I mean, we all know probably at this stage, all of us know people who have lost their jobs over the past year. That is not as widespread yet as it's going to be. And that kind of pain changes sentiment. Even if an individual doesn't lose his or her job, doesn't mean that they're not going to be cutting back on spending because they're seeing that all around them. Animal spirits in this are going to be working against the stock market, much more than the bond market, in my opinion, because there's some structural issues coming there. And again, the, it, it moves quickly and it affects the global markets around the world as well, because this feeds through to fundamentals such as the dollar, such as bond yields in other areas as well. It's going to, it could get really messy. We haven't had this kind of a scare for quite some time, Maggie, which is another reason why I think when it happens, it'll be harsh. We're just not prepared for it. So this is so this is the the, the pivot moves away from some of the other focuses. And, and for a while, it was the obsession about rates and really is on the economy, on this recession. Yes, rates matter because rates are a key factor in discounting pretty much any kind of asset you want. So rates do matter to investors more than earnings, for instance, but they are intertwined. They're not totally disassociated. When we start to see yields move as well, and when we start to see changes in the interest rate expectations for the next 12 months, not just to the end of the year, then we'll start to see for further, faster shifts in valuations. What will start it? The earnings. So it's an earnings recession too, because you could right now what we're seeing is, you know, if you get that weak data, then the Fed cuts come back in, right? The expectation for cuts come in. Is but is that not does that not matter once we see earnings start to be taken down? I don't think it matters, Maggie. The earnings will start to be taken down, perhaps not as much as many might fear because there's a lot of margin. There is room for them to come down. But again, it's all about valuations. It's not you know, the adage is not uh, it's not what you're buying, it's what you're paying, right? Uh, that doesn't, yes, interest rate cut expectations will probably kick, tick up again, mistakenly, in my opinion. The Fed cannot give up the fight on inflation. Inflation is not going away, and the Fed can't be shown to be relaxing on that. That would be a harsher mistake, as you said a moment ago, than hiking too much or keeping high for too long. That is easier to fix. And let's face it, politically, I know the central bank is independent, but politically, it would be much better to lower rates next year when there is an election coming up than there would be to raise next year when you realize you've made a mistake this one. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, uh, and they they they... They like to do nothing as they get close so that they can stay out of the fray. So any any policy adjustments that have to be made, you're right. It would better to be easing and it would be better to be sort of in the f- first half of the year so that they can step out of the way in the, in the second half. So the, the million dollar question, I guess, is, um, OK, so if it plays out that way, as you just described, what about tech? What about tech? Does everything get taken down or do we see the market segment because this narrative around AI and this enthusiasm around some of these tech names 
is strong enough. I mean, you had big names, right? Stan Druckenmiller earlier this week saying, listen, I don't think this is a 13-month play. I think this is years when you're looking at something like NVIDIA. Do we have a part of the market that's able to hold up or do you see it all getting hit? Everything being relative in life, I see everything getting hit, but parts of the market, especially the tech sector, holding up a lot more because, again, money has to go somewhere. It could sit in cash or you could buy dips. We've seen this in many other sectors as well. You could buy dips should it come down. And we do know that AI is going to be making a material impact on many of the tech stocks. What we don't know, Maggie, is kind of an impact, which stocks for that matter, and when this will start to show through in the earnings. Uh, there's a lot of froth around AI at the moment. We, we see this in the headlines practically every single day, and we're seeing this in asset prices as well. Will this froth actually materialize into bottom line? Probably not, but that doesn't mean there isn't a lot of benefits and gains to be had in the meantime. Yeah, and, and, and two big M's around that we've been talking about. Um, we've seen merger activity, which is interesting, and then moat, right? Does anybody really have a moat around that? Um, it's impacting our society, but are they going to be able to translate that into earnings? Can you really ring fence whatever you're doing with that? Um, and then it, are you using it appropriately? Everyone's going to be talking about it on their earnings call, but who can really translate that into the bottom line, I think is going to be really important. We are, of course, at the end of the first week of our Festival of Learning AI edition because of the importance of that of this topic, both in investing and, frankly, just coming across all of our lives. We've had some amazing conversations. I just wanted to share with everyone a little bit of those for those of you who haven't had a chance to actually watch them yet. Let's have a listen. 65 million years ago, a 20 kilometer asteroid struck the earth and it changed the environment so rapidly that the slow lumbering dinosaurs that were not agile died, went extinct. It was the furry, the furry little mammals, our ancestors that were agile and able to adapt rapidly that dominate the planet. Well, the asteroid that struck the earth over the last couple of decades is exponential technologies and they're changing the business world so rapidly that unless you have the agility to utilize these technologies, um, you will go extinct as a company. Really, I think uh, like in the short term, it's really going to be used kind of uh, as a productivity booster more so than a job replacement, just because so many companies don't have any talent in the space. Um, you know, it's, it's, they're really, it's really a battle for that, I'd, I'd say. So I don't, I don't think those job cuts are going to happen anytime soon. There could be inequality happening there as well. Uh, you know, there might be a more uneven distribution of wealth over time especially if you get regulation in place by these large companies uh, trying to protect their moats, essentially, right? It's not just ethical AI, but also cultural AI. What it means is building that cultural of ethical AI compliance, transparency, responsibility, oversight, and accountability across all team members rather than keeping it as a technical function. It is not the function of a CTO or a CIO or a CFO. Rather, it will be a daughter function to all these C-suite people, but directly reporting to the CEO, handling just privacy, innovation, and overall governance around these uh, metrics. Right, there's, there's no way we could catch up to that. Uh, there's so much that there's, that the level of data to process and the level of patterns to look into is just too much. And uh, I think it's untenable for us to, uh, to do that. So I think the only hope is really, okay, how do we create uh, you know, things like uh, maybe we need to create uh, new kinds of best practices on the design. I, I'm very torn here because this is actually a very interesting juncture. Peter Thiel very famously said, you know, they promised us flying cars. We got 140 characters. 
man, what you're looking at now is something far more important and scary than an alternate form of transportation. It is a genuine rewiring of human capability and brain um, that opens us up to being something totally different, right? And so that's part of the reason why I just emphasize how important and powerful this juncture is that we involve ourselves in the conversation and take an active role in deciding what do we actually want coming out of this. And those full episodes are on our website. Next week, we're going to be looking at how to use AI to invest, to scale up your business. I'm really excited for those. So if you're not a member, it's free. You just need to register, sign up on the link that Brian has probably already dropped in the chat. If not, he will. Um, some, some really, really great stuff and so topical as we were talking about, Noel. So it's, it's, it's sort of been this interesting dynamic. When you look at this, um, how do you, you know, how do you know what's real? How do you know what's froth? We've had people saying, oh, it's like the dot-com and no, it's not. It's completely different. How are you thinking about this? That is such an excellent question, Maggie. And, and watching the clip, I had this big smile on my face because honestly, it's deja vu all over again. I've been in, I've been studying crypto industry and applications and assets now for many years, and this is so reminiscent of crypto three, four, six years ago. Blockchain was going to change the world. You remember all of that, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure there are books even with those titles. And nothing will ever be the same again. And if you're not learning about this, you're going to be out of a job, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. And so we're starting to hear exactly the same kind of refrains now. Obviously, this is a very different technology. And obviously, times are very different now than they were back then, not just on the monetary side, but also on the geopolitical side. But it is reminiscent. It is an example of the hype that we were talking about before. Yeah. We saw back then that, yeah, a lot of promise, huge promise and definite impact. We saw this in crypto after all, but not what everyone is expecting. And it highlights the point that back as back then with crypto, we don't yet know what AI is going to be used for. We know it's powerful, but how do you make money on it? We know it's going to change the way we work, but exactly how? We don't yet know what we're dealing with, and yet it is already being assigned pretty inflated valuations in public markets, also in private markets. It's deja vu. Yeah, that's a that's such a great point. Uh, that what's the problem it's solving, right? What's the use case? And P Peter Peter and um, Salim Ismail did a whole workshop. Um, because they're talking about there's going to be a difference between those who figure that out and those who don't. And, and it is kind of a, a, a big, wide, wild west right now. I'm wondering, do you think the enthusiasm, because it is early stage, and the and I, th I think it was Mike Green, a couple of people pointed out, it feels different too, because it, it's touching individuals and consumers in this way that, you know, that bridge maybe wasn't there in some of the, some of the crypto DeFi space. Um, so it feels like it's that's just fueling the momentum. Do you think the enthusiasm around AI is pulling capital out of other parts of the market, whether it's other assets or or the crypto market? Yes, for sure. Two really good points you raised there. This is different from the crypto boom back then, because although we were promised that it was going to touch everyone's lives, people couldn't really see how it could. But let's face it, making AI images in mid-journey, that's just seriously cool. And who hasn't played around with asking for, for some creative output in a sonnet that will tell me exactly how to fix my dishwasher? That kind of stuff is really cool. We've all played with it. What we don't yet know is how that will make profits for anyone or even how that will change the environment. 
As for pulling funding out, we're seeing this already. You've probably seen on Twitter some of the well-known venture capitalists from Silicon Valley tweeting things like, if you're in crypto, pivot to AI. We're seeing, we're going to see this in the funding once that picks up again. Let's face it, pretty quiet at the moment. We're going to start to see this in some of the venture capital funding as well. And that's as it should be. Venture capitalist jobs is to venture capitalist jobs is to Find where can they make the most money for their partners. And that is going to be in the hot new technology at any given time. And right now, that is AI. It's not necessarily crypto. Crypto is still evolving, but let's face it, it's got quite a few headwinds. But the funds that that leave the crypto industry and go into AI are the hot money funds that were responsible for some of the outrageous valuations in some crypto projects a couple of years ago. The outrageous salaries that have been paid, the business that really shouldn't have had funding funding to start with. And we all know how too much money entering an industry does tend yeah. to sometimes trigger some crazy behavior. So, so basically, yes, the hot money will move into AI and that's fine. That means that the crypto industry, the companies that do get funding will hopefully have a much better product market fit plan. They'll actually have a business plan. Some of them, the salaries will be more reasonable and they'll have a better chance of surviving because of the additional rigor that they have to go through to get the funding in the first place. So it's, yes, it's not, but it's not bad news. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, you're right. And we saw this. This is where the the, the reference to the dot-com era, I think, makes sense as well, because we certainly saw a lot of rationalization, much stronger business plans get funded and come out of that after the froth left and maybe a cautionary tale for AI as everyone rushes into the industry, you know, make sure that that the business plans are there and that the profit line comes through. Uh, I want to get to a couple of questions because there are good ones. Uh, Dan saying, so if tech comes off, as everyone says, what's the best to buy energy slash banks question mark or just anything other than tech? How do you see that? Is it going to be a rotation or or just is is it all going to is it is it into different asset classes? Because I, I think you laid out your scenario that stocks are going to see some pain. Stocks are going to see some pain. But again, as we talked about before, the tech sector on the whole, once the valuations are slightly less inflated, would continue to do well. That's generally a... My personal preference is generally to invest in the future and, we, and the unknown, the risk side of it. Again, whether uh, that, that's down to individual investors' risk preferences, but we do know that there are some big changes coming. There always are. That's what tech companies do. They're always trying to improve the bottom lines as well as the, the lives of their, of their clients. But in terms of banks and energy, we are always going to need banks and energy. And as rates come down, sure, then sometimes banks have a hard time fixing that, fitting that into their profit paths, but there will be a way. Banks are evolving in terms of their technological applications all the time. I think banks would be interesting, and especially on the energy side, we know that needs for energy is not going away. Oil price is quite weak right now. I expect it to start climbing, especially as demand picks up in the summer, especially as we have the Chinese demand starting to pick up also compared to last year, certainly, and as supply remains tight. So also the technology side of energy these days is another fascinating area to look into. So I'm glad you brought up those two great points. Glad you brought up China because this has been, it's sort of, you know, on the front burner and then it kind of moved to the back burner a little bit. Some disappointment around what that reopening looked like and the strength there. Uh, do you see China contributing to either economic growth or are they going to start easing? So we see some liquidity coming from there. Could that help? What, what's happening yes, with definitely. China? 
Yeah. China is disappointing on the economic front. This is what we're seeing across our headlines every single day. But this overlooks the fact that China is growing. It's just growing less than they had forecast. But it can't grow less than they had forecast. So yes, there's probably some easing coming. We might even see the easing come as soon as next week. And that will make a big difference, not only to their local stock markets and bond markets as well, but possibly to risk assets around the world because the China easing, it, it's a very big market. And so it should make some difference. We also know that they will continue to do what they need to do to meet their growth targets. It's not really an option. Yeah. Do you think that's factored in the market? Because everyone sort of said, oh, the China reopening story, a big nothing burger. And then that it sort of seemed to drop off the headline. Is that in the market? Is it not in the market yet? Do we have to see it before it's a positive force? Yes, we have to see it before it's positive force. I think what's in the market right now is what we're seeing across the headlines, as you mentioned, and that is disappointing figures from China. Surprising we haven't seen that in more valuations, but again, this is going to feed into the slow down narrative that will start to bring valuations down, in my opinion. But China will meet its growth target this year. Perhaps not by much, but let's face it, 5% growth in a global contraction is still pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dan is agreeing with you. Uh, quipping AI a year from now will be sixty-seven thousand Bitcoin. You know that <laughs> the the frothy bit of that market. Um, do you see any? We don't get to always talk crypto on this show, but do you see if we start to see money go back into risk assets? Could crypto benefit from that as well? Because it had traded for a long time in tandem as a risk asset, but we've seen that decouple recently. Is that because of all the other negative headline risk out there? I think it is, Maggie. Crypto, still very much a risk asset, but it's a whole lot of other things as well. Crypto is whatever anyone wants it to be, the eye of the beholder, literally, it really is. But let's face it, the risk asset narrative is what moves the price because that's what moves the huge institutional funds that will either pile in or not. And right now, there are a lot of other headwinds that are keeping investors on the sidelines. We have the regulatory uncertainty in the United States, especially after the news of this week. We have extremely low volumes, extremely low volatility, which curiously actually makes it less interesting for professional investors. There's a lot of other things going on in the crypto industry right now, aside from the potential rate scenario, aside from rates not coming down as soon as investors had originally been expecting, that are keep, that's keeping crypto somewhat decoupled from the broader tech sector. And that said, if indeed we get a sell-off and tech does sell off, then that could trigger a further sell-off in crypto because many tech investors are also crypto investors and may have all sorts of margin uh -huh. losses to cover. But uh, yeah, that's probably why there are so many headwinds against uh, crypto at the moment. And given the potential easing in China, which you would think would definitely help, given the regulatory support that it's seeing from around the world, without the, those two major headwind, headwinds, it should be climbing by now, especially since there is a halving coming next year. Yeah, that's a great point about tech investors also being crypto investors. You always have to watch out. If we start to see pain in some area, winners get sold too, as we know, because yep. people have to make those margin calls um, or, or up their performance. So uh, the other question I wanted to ask you, um, which I noticed in your newsletter, uh, which is awesome because it spans everything, <laughs> globe and assets, um, was that you're watching the Turkish lira. This came up. I saw, I, I, I have as well, but we haven't really had a chance to talk about it. What's happening in Turkey that it put it on your radar? 
Well, first of all, Turkey is a fascinating study on how orthodox economics is being put in the washing machine and then the dryer and coming out being something totally different. It's just intellectually, this is also really, really interesting. Where else are we going to be get the chance to watch such experimentation on such a scale in one of the largest countries in the world? Anyway, that aside, as I'm geeking out here, the Turkish situation is interesting because of the currency turmoil, and this is highlighting one of the ultimate use cases of crypto assets such as Bitcoin, such as stable coins. Most of us in our comfortable developed uh, economy, financial systems, Maggie, we all I hear this every day, it has no utility. It's not a good store of value. But if you tell that to someone in Turkey, in Nigeria, in Lebanon, they will tell you an entirely different story. I was looking this morning at the price of Bitcoin in Turkish Lira, and it has doubled since the beginning of the year. It is now back at levels that it was last at last April before the crypto market started imploding. The, the Bitcoin price in the Lebanese currency at its all-time high. And now mm. tell me that Bitcoin doesn't serve as a store of value for people in areas with currency volatility, which, let's face it, we are very likely to see more of as the year progresses, as geopolitical fractures widen, as the dollar continues to do its damage, and as rate paths continue to diverge. Mm. How do you see this playing out, this grand experiment in Turkey? I believe that they're going to start to adopt some more orthodox monetary policies. Will it? We're starting. We're seeing this already with some of their central bank appointments. But will this be enough to stem the inflation? It has been coming down, but it's coming down to what forty percent from eighty or something. That is just astonishing. It's absolutely amazing that there hasn't been more unrest in the country so far. Then again, the elections are now behind us, so we might start to see that change and politically. That is very, very sensitive given Turkey's role, not just as a member of NATO, but also uh, as a friend to the other large geopolitical alliances. It's an example of how everything coalesces in one region. Yeah. Um, <laughs> George is saying, really like the Jameson poster, big fan, TGIF. <laughs> I love I'm it. Irish. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got we we got questions about that too. Uh, so um, we have CPI coming out. We have the Fed. We're kind of in a blackout period. As we as we sort of look to the next week, what what should we be aware of? What should we? We're, we're midway through the session. We usually do this when when markets are closed, but um, I, you and you could already see what happens. And this is why we moved to one p.m. on on a Friday. You could see everyone kind of squaring up, getting where they need to be to head into the weekend, and things really slowing down. Summer Fridays, as long as there's not a big headline news item, everyone likes sort of a peaceful roll into the weekend. Um, even even the desks in, in investment banking desks then out a little bit. Um, but as we as we calmly roll into the weekend, what do we need to be thinking about for next week? What's top of mind for you? Apart from summer and rolling into nice weather and everything. I live in Europe, magazine I mentioned before, and, and seriously, things get very quiet in Southern Europe during the summer, which one can certainly appreciate given the year that we've had so far. But 
headlines are going to do their thing. CPI is a very big deal. And I would argue that especially this CPI is going to be one of the most interesting that we have seen so far this year. I'll go to Lim and say that. And why? Because of what we've been seeing in CPI figures in other regions, surprising to the downside. Just imagine if we get something similar next Tuesday in the United States. And we all know of Magali, what matters is core CPI. That's what the Fed is going to be focusing on, specifically the core PCE. But anyway, core CPI matters more. It doesn't matter. Headline CPI, it affects expectations and expectations affect behavior. It affects asset prices, etc. So the headline CPI figure is going to be key. That I think is the most important economic data point that we have coming out over the next month, if I can say so. I mentioned unemployment before. That is also you know, that is key, but I think right now for expectation setting, it's next Tuesday's CPI. And then, of course, we've got the FOMC meeting on Wednesday. I don't think we're going to get any surprises there. It looks like it's going to be a pause. But yeah. the CPI is definitely going to set the tone for the next one. Yeah. It, 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 do you see inflation, and, and we'll, we'll wrap on this, do you see inflation, we're seeing these better readings. Are they going to continue as we head into recession, we're getting all, all the way back down? Or are we looking at, it's slowing, but it's going to kind of stall at a higher level that we need to be aware of. It's the last mile in life. That's always the hardest, right? And with inflation, even more so. Inflation is going to be stickier than I think many economists are forecasting because of all sorts of demographic, geopolitical, um, climate reasons even. There are many inflationary forces that are going to make it almost impossible to get down to 2%. I'm of the opinion we're not seeing 2% inflation anytime soon. This does mean higher inflation. This does mean higher interest rates and many are factoring and also, but you know what, Maggie, that's actually okay. We adjust our models, we adjust our valuations and we move forward. We have had strong economic growth in similar scenarios before. We will again. The Fed will somehow manage to change its target without changing its target because there's credibility in play here, but we're not getting down to 2% anytime soon. We're going to see, I think, some very good news and then probably a pause for a while because inflation is going to struggle to move further. And we do have a potential energy price scare coming later this year. As I hinted earlier, we have tightening supplies and potentially increasing demand and the base year on year effect will start to do fairly unpleasant things to the calculations. Yeah, and there's not a lot that's changed on the geopolitical front that got us in that mess in the first place. And you put the winter back in the mix, and I think we're all going to be talking a lot about that, which we will we will talk about. Noel, what an absolute pleasure to end the week with you. Uh, amazing that we could talk across so many different parts of the globe and, and all of the asset classes. It's certainly a nice way for us to sort of wrap up the week and focus on what's going to be important next week. So thank you so much. We appreciate you. Thank you, Maggie. This was a lot of fun. And uh, don't forget, everybody, we're going to continue that Real Vision Festival of Learning AI edition. Next week's all about the use cases. How do I use it? What can it be used for? Can it make me money? We all want to know that. Um, so if you're a member, you, of course, get access for free. If you're not a member, it'll also be free for you. You just have to sign up uh, and you can go to realvision.com forward slash festival of learning for that to get the full details and also, of course, the links that Brian check for you. So listen, loved having you all on Summer Friday. We're going to set reminders for everybody um, about the new time. We hope you have a fantastic weekend. Cheers to everybody because mine's going to start now. We'll see you. Take care and good luck out there. Have a good one, everyone. So this is probably going to be the worst marketing message of all time, that everything you're about to learn at the Real Vision Festival of Learning, the AI edition, is going to be out of date really soon. But you need to know it anyway. That's the crazy world of AI. The speed of which it's developing is absolutely astonishing. 
And so is the speed it's taken the public attention and imagination, the hype cycle, and already jobs. It's a very, very big deal. I think it's one of the most important things to happen to the global, global economy in my lifetime and maybe longer. But where is it all going? And the honest answer is, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But for two weeks, we're going to have a lot of fun trying to find out. So starting from June 5th, we're going to have the AI edition of the Festival of Learning. I hope you join us for what's going to be an epic two weeks right before we launch Real Vision 2.0, where we are starting to plant the seeds towards our AI journey too. Anyway, hope to see you there. It'll be a super interesting two weeks. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.